Hello, I'm Karen Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast about our favorite movies from the 2000s. Before we get into the movie this week, which we teased last week is the second half of, of uh, a movie that we had already done earlier in the year, kind of because this movie was supposed to be one long epic and it was divided into two movies, it got me thinking about movie lengths in movie theaters. Okay. So we're obviously talking about the second half of Kill Bill. Kill Bill Volume 2 is what we're doing today. Originally, this was one movie, and he then cut it in two, I think in part because the second half is very different from the first half, but also because it would be a four-hour movie, and, you know, people weren't going to the movie theaters to watch four-hour movies. Some still don't. I would say most don't. (laughs) Uh, I know you're an exception, but... (laughs) Yeah, half of this podcast certainly doesn't. The other half definitely does. But it got me thinking about sort of movie lengths and the run times. And is there an ideal movie length if you're going to go to the movie theater to watch? Because just like off the top of my head in the last few weeks, the movies that I've seen in the movie theaters are, you know, Napoleon is two and a half hours, which is, I think, pretty standard for like an epic like that. But there is rumor to be a four-hour version coming to the streaming services, which I'm way more excited about. And have everyone who's asked me about Napoleon, I've kind of said, well, wait for the four-hour version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, Oppenheimer is, comes in at three hours. I've seen that twice this year. Killers of the Flower Moon is three hours, 26 minutes. Saw that in opening night. It's not a 2023 movie, but last week I went to go see Once Upon a Time in America, which is... This like 80s gangster movie. And I went to go see it because it was the extended version, which came in at four hours and eleven minutes. That had a that did have an intermission, uh, but that came in at four hours and eleven minutes. And then just like other movies this year, Bo is Afraid was two hours and fifty-nine, John Wick 4 was two hours and fifty, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was two hours forty-four. And that's only part was the dead. Well, Mission that's like possible, like a part one as that's well. That's a part one. Part two is not finished, so it's okay. not the exact same as the Kill Bill okay. situation, where like both of these were done and then he cut it in half. Um, and then like last year, two of my favorite movies, Babylon was three hours and nine minutes, and the Batman was two hours and fifty seven. And I saw both of those in the movie theaters. And so I'm just curious for you, like, is there an ideal runtime when you're sort of thinking about maybe going to see a movie and then you see, you know. Oh, like, you know, it's, it's over this number. Maybe, maybe I'll wait. So if it gets close to three hours, I do take a pause. I sit at home being like, is it really going to be worth the three hours I'm going to spend there? Because for me, it then just gets a bit logistical. Well, I can't go to a late showing because I'll never make it through it. (laughs) Take take briar off the table no no that's just me i won't make a late showing anymore (laughs) okay (laughs) not even briar but yeah so late movies now i tend not to go to that much because i'm just tired by the end of the day i just want to go to sleep so for me anything hitting that three hour mark i definitely stop and think about it before i buy my ticket two and a half hours i'm good with 
Two and a half hours is probably your upper limit. Yeah. Do you think? Anything yeah. after two and a half I like, starts to get dicey? It gets a bit dicey. I need to pick the right time to go see it and the right movie theater and all of that. Um, but that being said, anything sometimes too short, I'm like, why, I'll finish why, being like... Why well, would I pay to, yeah, yeah. to go? Yeah. Interesting. So, so you're kind of looking for a sweet spot and not too short, not too long. Kind of like the two hours. Two hours is usually pretty good for me. It justifies going out. Yeah. But it's not too long that you're going to fall asleep? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. See, I think the, the interesting thing about it, as I got thinking about it more and more, I think a lot of people would agree with you that, you know, three hours is maybe starting to push the limits of somebody being able to sit still in a movie theater and, you know, this, that, and the other. And obviously we don't get intermissions anymore like the historical epics used to get in the 60s and whatnot. Um, unless you're going to the four hour and 11 minute version of <laughs> Once Upon a Time in America. Did, like, how did they do that intermission? Did they quite literally just like pause the movie well, and no, just say like, so here's I, an intermission? I think there is an intermission in the movie, in the like original cut, which is like three hours and 40 minutes. Okay. There is an intermission. And so they just played the movie until it hit the intermission. And then they played the rest of the movie after that. Okay what ended up happening is like all the extended scenes happened to be before the intermission. So like the intermission uh, came at three hours, not sort of two and a half or, you know, okay. where you would imagine in between. So yeah. yeah, it was like three hours intermission and then an hour and 10 minutes. So it wasn't like in the middle. No, no, no. Yeah. It's all, and like, I understand that like it wasn't even half the runtime, but that second hour and 10 minutes seemed to fly by. Yeah. Like after having sat for three hours, that seemed like, oh, that was a breeze. Like, that was so short. Um, but I think, I think it, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you that, you know, that might be tough. But then I got thinking, when I watch a movie at home, like, uh, I think the the standard argument or whatever is that, oh, I'd rather watch a three-hour movie at home. Yeah. Where I can sit on my couch, I can pause if need be, I can go to the bathroom, I can get up and stretch. S- have snacks. Have snacks. Yeah. Whatever needs to happen, I can do that at home comfort of my own couch and things like that and i i understand that argument but what i have noticed from myself watching some of these movies because most of those movies i watched in movie theaters with the exception of bo is afraid which i watched at home okay and with bo is afraid which is two hours and 59 minutes was three hours long yeah that turned into a four-hour movie because i was pausing pausing it because i was like oh i just need to go get a drink of water oh i just go to the bathroom oh i just you know Oh, I'll just, who, who's that calling me on my phone? I'll just check my phone for two minutes. I'll pause the movie. And so all of a sudden this three hour movie is a four hour movie. And so all I'm doing is extending it and making it even longer than That's it already fair. is. Whereas when I go to see it in the movie theater, it's three hours. Yeah. And, and, you, and you are fine to sit there and that's it. not get a drink of water. And, yeah, like yeah. The shortest version of these movies is the movie that is the version that plays in the movie theater. Because you can't control when it starts. You can't control when it ends. So you do just have to sit there and watch. That's fair. And I I think I preferred that. Like I, I, I know myself that I will distract myself. Especially if I'm not really liking the movie. Okay. Whereas if I'm sitting in a movie theater. I then. You can't pull out your phone. You can't go for a little walk. You can't. You know. Well, all these things. You shouldn't. People do. You shouldn't. But people do. <laughs> I guess. Yes. But. It then, I think it forces me to kind of pay extra attention, to watch a little bit closer. 
And maybe I do pull something out that at home I would have just glossed over. So does the runtime never make you pause though? So like this four hour one that you've already seen the original or yeah. you've seen the North American or the Europe yeah, version yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. or whatever. When it came out and it was like four hours, did you actually stop for a second though and go, four hours is a long no, time? No. No. The the only thing that it would make me pause and stop would be like if the movie was at eight o'clock at night and I knew okay. that it wouldn't then end till about 1230, wouldn't get home till one. You know what I mean? Like that would maybe give me some pause, but not the fact that like I would still want to see the movie at that runtime. Oh, okay. So it just not, might not be at that time they're the, showing the, start the time. movie. Yeah, like okay. when I'm sitting at home, I'm not firing up to do a three and a half hour movie at nine o'clock at night. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I, so you I'll, do take the start time. Yeah, like into I'll, I'll try and factor it in so that you know, because I, I know that I, I I will get tired, I will get sleepy, and like, yeah. and then you're not really watching the movie, and so it's not the movie's fault. But like. I'll take that into account, but just because a movie is long doesn't mean that I'm sort of going to be like, oh, I don't really want to watch that. Okay. You know what I mean? Do you want to do your quote? We'll you, have, you always have the quote when we talk about movie lengths. Oh, like, the, yeah, it's the, the Roger Ebert <laughs> quote, but yeah, people can look it up. Um, but yeah, like that that is what is more the factor than anything else. Okay. Like if I'm not enjoying the movie and I know that there's another hour and a bit to go and I've already been there for two then I'm starting to think like, okay, like you guys really fucked this one. And, you know, I might, that's when my sort of critical brain starts to turn even faster and harder. It's like, I'm going to rip this part because this was a waste of an afternoon or yeah. a waste of an evening. You know what I mean? But like once upon a time in America, like I love that movie. And so there was really not going to be anything in the extra 35 minutes or whatever of extra footage that was going to make me not like the movie. So I was basically sitting there the whole time being like, this is fantastic. Okay. Like I'm loving every minute of this and now I'm getting even more. So, but it's, yeah, the, the minimum runtime is interesting. Not many, I don't think many people would necessarily think that. Yeah. And sometimes it even factors in like I'm a big theater person. And so like we talked about it on the previous podcast, like I went to go see six, the musical and that's 80 minutes. And at first when I was like, Oh, only 80 minutes. Like that's not really long. And for us to take the train into Toronto yeah. and all like all of the extra things to go to it. But then I left and I was like, Oh my God, they never stopped in that 80 right, minutes. Right. Like it's a, basically a concert. And so I was like, 80 minutes was great. I don't know if I could have handled two and a half hours of this because i would just be exhausted so well speaking of concerts it's one that i haven't watched this year but the taylor swift is coming i know his tour movie is what three hours and 10 minutes or something like that. yeah it's coming it out on demand i think in a couple weeks i'm actually gonna probably watch it i'm not a big swifty i won't even call myself really a swifty but i just want to see how they put it all together right so i'm interested um I'm, I'm going to take a pass on that one. So you, yeah? Yeah, you can let what us if, know. What if I make it a challenge for no. you? <laughs> no, I just won't accept. Um, yeah, you can give us you can give us the rundown on, okay. on, on the Errors Tour movie. But we can, we can jump into our movie this week. And so like I've already said, we're going back to August 13th, 2004 to talk about Kill Bill Volume 2, the second half of the Kill Bill saga. And um, we're finishing off 
I think it was our second podcast was I think Kill so. Bill. Second or third podcast yeah, was Kill Bill. Yeah, it was Bill. really early. So we're we're finally going back and we're finally <laughs> finishing off. And at the end of the Kill Bill Volume 1 episode, I had you make some predictions for what you assumed was going to happen in the second half. Yeah. And so do you want to remind everybody what those predictions were? Yeah. So my predictions, I had three of them. I said that she's known as the bride, right? So yeah. the bride kills the other vipers in the group that I didn't think she, by her own hand, would kill Bill. I thought maybe some other person or, or yeah. another factor or something, but it wasn't at her hand. And I remember you being quite shocked by that because why is the movie called Kill Bill and then Bill doesn't die yeah, yeah. and all. And so, but I said that my final prediction was that she found her daughter and she found that the more important purpose in her life was having this relationship with a daughter and connecting with her daughter. So, so not bad. I think I, I got like two and a half. I was going to give you one and a half. Oh, okay. One and a half. Because okay. yeah, she does find her daughter and she does ride off in the sunset with her daughter. Yep. Tick. She does kind of kill the other vipers or her actions lead to the deaths of the other vipers. But you specifically saying that she probably wouldn't kill Bill by her own hand. And, and then, then actually having kill- Bill specifically die by her hand. <laughs> you know, not another weapon, nothing. Uh, you, that's a big miss on that one. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I tried to argue that one earlier and that didn't go over so well. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> we, you know, we'll save that stuff for the end for the end. But uh just want to know, so, you know, the second half of the movie, uh, did you like that the movies were divided? Uh, did you kind of maybe understand why he divided them in the way that he did? You know, just let's give us your thoughts on the second half of Kill Bill here. So I have a question first. So you've said now. You do this a lot. I ask you. I know. Just a, a question. How did you feel about the movie? And your answer is always to ask me a question. Because I need to clarify something. Okay. So it's obviously two parts. Was the plan for it always to be two parts and for them to be kind of different? Or is it once he decided it was two parts, he kind of took the various scenes and made them fit into either part one or part two? Because, oh, because you think because it's it's kind of told a little out of order? Yeah. So, like, I'm wondering if it was one big movie, would some of these scenes in part two have, have come earlier? One? Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. Has he ever come out and talked about that? I don't think he has, and I, I okay. doubt that he ever would. Like, he does really like to leave some mystery in his movies. Like, even when, like, they don't really matter... So, like, in, in Inglorious Bastards, he misspells bastards. But he'll never explain why it's misspelled. Oh, I don't think I knew, noticed that. <laughs> because, it, like, it ultimately doesn't matter. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to make you fill in the blanks yourself and have some sort of ownership on how you feel about the movie. And so, like, you know, the, there are things... You haven't seen any of the movies. But there are things, like, in Pulp Fiction there's a briefcase that kind of goes through a lot of the chapters in the movie and characters continually open the briefcase and there's a light that glows on their face and they're always kind of stunned by what's in the briefcase. He never tells you what's in the briefcase. And so, you know, rumors abound, but he will never, ever, ever explain what's in the briefcase. 
And so I think there's maybe a little bit like that here where originally, I think this was written and, and, and filmed as like one continuous thing. Okay. Um, because the two movies came out, I think, within six months of each other. Yeah. So, like, he was finished them at the same time. And then, you know, made the decision to put them out as two separate ver- or two separate halves. Obviously, there's a bit more time jumping in the first one. Like, the first one opens with her fight against Vivica A. Fox. And then she goes back to the, to the truck. And we realize that she's already killed Lucy Liu's character. Yeah. And we haven't seen that chapter at all yet. And that chapter doesn't come for another like 40, 45 minutes. In this one, it's a little bit more straightforward. There's obviously some time jumps in terms of like, we go back to see her training. But the events in sort of like present day do, you know, she goes to Bud. Then the whole L thing happens. Then she goes finds Bill. Like, yeah. it is kind of sequential in that respect. So, yeah, I, I don't know if if... What the original, original intention was. If it was, okay. But, but. I think I would have enjoyed it more, a little more chronological. I Like, ha- oh, like the, the, for the whole thing? For the whole thing. Okay. Um, That's not what he does, though. I know. You'll never get that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't but think I, he's made a chronological movie ever. <laughs> so, because I didn't write, rate either of these very highly. I wasn't a fan of either of them. If I had to pick. I probably enjoyed the first one maybe a bit more because it had more action in it. Sure. And I was just more interested in those action scenes. Whereas I found this one, this half, like, really quiet. Maybe dull's not the right word, but, like, that's what's coming to my mind right now. And, yeah, I just didn't love it. Well, so <laughs> we, surprise, surprise, we highly disagree. I knew we would. <laughs> I think, like, it's it's definitely obvious that this one... Like, there's only one true fight scene in this movie. Well, what's really. your true fight scene? Well, her and Elle. That's, oh, like, the see, only fight scene, really. Like, See, for I, me, the fight scene was her and the master guy. I'm blanking on what his name is. Uh, But that's, like, a training montage. Pai yeah, Mei? Pai Mei. Yeah, that's like just a training montage. That's not... I Like, I wouldn't really even consider that. That was, like, two minutes. Oh, that okay. was, like, nothing. So, yeah, like, the only actual fight scene... I think in the movie is her and Elle. Okay. Either which way, even if you say there's two fight scenes in the movie, yeah. like the other movie is about 90 minutes of fight scenes. I know. And so I'm always impressed at how good the second half plays when he cuts out the leg of action. And he says like, I'm not doing this. This is not going to be part of this movie. Even though it was such a big part of the first one, I'm not going to lean on that. To make this exciting, to make this, you know, move quickly. It's going to be pretty deliberately paced. And like, it's not slow. No. It's not slow, but 20 minutes longer than the first one. Yeah. And so like, I just, I think depending on what the original intent was, and that's why I I wanted to know that first, if he had cut it differently and slightly more chronological, I think he would have spread out the fight scenes and then I would have been more interested in. All of it rather than. Well, but yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know because even then, if you did it chronologically, you get the Lucy Liu thing first and then you get Vivica Fox and then you get everything that happens in this movie. So like the two big, 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 big fight scenes in the first movie still take place in the first movie. Yeah. But I guess depending on where they cut it, like the Vivica Fox one could have started part two. 
Yeah, but then right. Yeah, but then she's going through Vivke, Fox, Bud, L, and Bill in the second half. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just didn't. You weren't a fan. Just wasn't a fan. You weren't a fan. That's I'm fine. Trying, I'm trying to see what I could do to make it better. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. The second half of that question, though, was like, could you understand why he did it in the way that he did it? Like, why he decided to cut the movies at the point where he cut them? I think so, because the whole part of the first one is, like, the mystery of the bride. Yeah. And who is she? How did she... Well, like the first one's just a straight revenge story. And stuff. And so this then you get all of the backstory of her and slight hints or nods or whatever to her name, which is also a big mystery. Like he calls her kiddo and you think that's just a nickname for her. And then you find out... It's her last name. Her last name and stuff. And so like that I enjoyed. I enjoyed her and... The training montage and how those then came back and like you were able to kind of see her do some things in other fight scenes. I was like, well, that's clever. So like I can appreciate some things, but just wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan. That's fine. That's fine. Are you starting (laughs) to understand a little bit more of his style? Because I remember that being sort of one of your sticking points with the first one where you're sort of like, I'm not sure if I fully get what he's doing all the time. Because he's like mashing up genres every five seconds. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. And that's only because we would have talked about part one. And so you said in part one, I think it's kind of the whole movie is him honoring like samurai movies and kung fu movies. Kung fu movies and things like that. And so I could kind of see that a little bit now in this one. I was like, well, that's just like, I think a nod to. Yeah. A stereotypical or a typical thing. Um, so I just keep kind of thinking of the master and like the master's yeah. look. And yeah. Yeah. him, I freaking loved his beard twirling. Yeah. That was awesome. Every time he did it, I smiled. <laughs> so. Well, that's like, that is just straight out of a like 70s Kung yeah. Fu movie. Like the whole look, the way that it's shot, um, like even like the sound effects uh, the everything's kind of heightened yeah because they would have been working kind of like stock sound effects and so yeah i like the whole pie may thing is just <laughs> just wonderful um, but i kind of finished and i because now this is my second tarantino movie yeah i did try to figure out i was like where should i go next like if i want to see him do something else because you've kind of said he is a very genre guy so yeah. whatever the movie is about he kind of pulls from past movies and things like that i was kind of like i don't know where to go next <laughs> well so the the interesting thing with tarantino and and i'm not sure if this came up in the first half or not i did not go back to listen to that episode neither did i, I just listen to the predictions yeah um he's quite famous for having his movies um interconnected in in certain ways and kind of easter eggs for himself really and like if you watch a lot of his movies you can maybe pluck out a few things here and there um like the one of the connections between this movie and and something else like the bride we're kind of dancing around here we'll we'll maybe go a little chronologically after this but (laughs) the bride gets buried in in a grave and we're told that the headstone on the grave is apollo schultz yeah in the movie django unchained christoph waltz's character his last name is schultz and so Uh, then the thinking is like oh paula schultz might be his daughter or his wife, or, you know what I mean? There might be some connection between the two of them. And that's kind of the connection between the movies. And 
you know, on and on and on. But the other thing that he, he does talk about is that there's a real world in his movies and then there's a movie world in his movies. Okay. And so the real world would be things like Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained or like Reservoir Dogs or things like that, where it's like, these are definitely real world people. Now it's Tarantino's version of real world. So like still a couple things askew, but then he also makes movies that the people in his real world would go to see. Okay. And Kill Bill is, is one of those examples where it's like, in his version of the real world, they would go see a movie like Kill Bill. So Kill Bill's not supposed to be a reflection of real world. And that's why people walk around with samurai swords and things like that, right? And the sound effects. And, and the sound effects. Okay. And th- you know what I mean? And it's a little bit more heightened. It's a little bit whatever. But that's a movie in his world. Okay. That his real world characters would go see. You know what I mean? And so for you... In terms of maybe trying to find another avenue in to Tarantino, I might suggest one of his real world movies where it's a little bit more grounded. It's not so sort like there are like fantasy elements of Kill Bill. Yeah, it's like that is so outrageous. Like th- there's no way that that can be real. Whereas in something like Inglorious Bastards or Reservoir Dogs, like it's a little bit more grounded. Yeah. And therefore not as sort of hard to, to be kind of grasp to or... grasp on. Okay. So yeah. Inglorious Bastards, you might enjoy it. Like it is just like a World War II movie. It's a mission movie. So like they tell you within the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, like this is the mission. And so then the whole movie works towards that mission. You know what I mean? I so. think it's one and maybe we talked about it at the beginning of Kill Bill Part One. I think I have seen parts of Inglorious Bastards before. Right. But not enough to be like, I watched the movie. Well, before you would have had a so, real aversion to foreign language movies, but now you're true. now you're a pro. I'm it's one of my favorites now. Yeah, now you're an absolute <laughs> pro. So yeah, there's like there's like a good, I don't know, 40, 50% of Inglorious Bastards that's not in English. Like yeah. they speak French, they speak German, there's a little Italian in there. Some bad Italian, but a little Italian. Um but yeah, like, yeah, Inglorious Bastards might be a way in for you. Because okay. you kind of, you do like some war movies, you like yeah. mission movies. I think you like movies where sort of right at the beginning they tell you this is where we're going by the end. And then it's kind of a journey to get there. Yeah. So maybe that'll be my next Tarantino watch. So we can kind of go into this movie a little bit, maybe chronologically and sort of like chapter by chapter, scene by scene, because... I'm just curious, like, what did work for you, what didn't work for you? So we'll sort of take it as it comes. And so we obviously sort of open this movie with the flashback pre-Chapel Massacre. Um, And we get a little bit more backstory of the bride and who she's marrying and all this sort of stuff. And then I think this is the first time that we, like, properly meet Bill. Yeah, I think before he was just, like, a voice. He's, like, a voice and, like, you see, like, I think... A hand and whatnot, but you or like the back of his head yeah, or something. Yeah, you don't ever really actually meet him, and so yeah, like what did you make of this whole sort of like prologue and and meeting Bill for the first time and seeing how they interact and you know could you infer anything from the way that they are interacting with each other in terms of like what kind of relationship they may have had and things like that? 
Um, I enjoyed that it was in black and white because then it set it apart from the rest of the movie yeah. in a way. Like I knew then it was her separate, her reminiscing yeah. or something like that. So I enjoyed that. I did find it interesting. You meet, I think, first like the chapel couple, like the reverend or whatever. I really enjoyed that Samuel L. Jackson yeah. is just like chilling in the corner and says yeah. three words and then that's him done in the movie. That's him and that's it finished. <laughs> so like Listen, when, when Tarantino calls, you say yes. No matter what the role is, you say yes. So like that was kind of funny. But um, the bride at one point just has like a feeling or something and so she starts to walk out of the church and she's like staring off into the desert and all of a sudden you kind of are like, she knows somebody's here. Yeah. Well, and she like hear, she can hear the music. Oh, is that what it yeah. is? Okay, I must have yeah. missed the music or whatever. And like she then turns and Bill's there, and I was like, okay, I guess that's Bill. Like, what's gonna happen now? Yeah, because you know what happens, but like I'm trying to be like, how do we get there? How do we get there? Yeah, <laughs> like is this a five minute thing? Is it he, they come back later? Like what's going on? Um, and then her being pretending that that's her dad. Yeah, it's just like. That seems uncomfortable. Like you well, guys are a little too touchy feely. Yeah, that's ask. I don't want to ask you what the relationship because I was like, you get well. Like we obviously know that he's the father of her baby, but you do get a sense of like, this was like probably a long relationship that they had. Yeah, and then all of a sudden she's asking him to pose as her father, and it's sort of like, like yeah. It's a little ickiness going on, and here. like the guy comes in and oh, you should give her away, and yeah, I was yeah, just like, yeah, that's yeah, not that's not happening, that's not gonna happen. What great foresight though from her to be like to not have the lie be that her parents are dead, just to have her lie be like my parents are away and they won't yeah. be here because it's sort of like I think a lot of us, all of us, would just be, if we were trying to be this like new persona, yeah. we would just be like, oh yeah, they're, they're dead. The you know my parents died. But she obviously told him that he was away. And so when he shows up, it's not that weird. Yeah. I think maybe like she wasn't expecting him, but I guess then it could just be, well, he surprised me for the wedding. Yeah. But like, how did he find her in this tiny chapel in, where are they? El Paso. El Paso. I think, yep. So I did have questions about that one, I think, when I was watching it, being like, how did he find her? Like if she is trying to have a new life, I would say being an assassin she's probably quite good at hiding yeah but he's also her boss so like so he's probably good at finding people (laughs) that's true but yeah and so then the slow pen back and the other vipers kind of walking in i was there being like okay which one was which again yeah yeah, yeah. trying to pick them out because i think you just see the The backs backs of of them yeah and so i was trying to pick everybody out but no i enjoyed that part because it just it felt different than the rest of the movie so from there, we then move on to the Bud chapter yeah. where she goes after him and we find him and he's fallen on real hard times. And th- this is maybe the only part of the movie where I've always had a little bit of a question because we obviously, we meet him and he's talking to Bill and they've heard that she's gone to Tokyo and killed Lucy Liu's character, Oren Ishii. Yeah. And that she's massacred her entire sort of little army. Because they talk about the 88s. The crazy but 88s. But there aren't 88 yeah. of them or something. Yeah. So they've heard the stories now. They know what's going on. They know she's coming after them. Obviously, she's gone, by this stage, she's gone to Vivica Fox's 
character's house and murdered her. They don't really talk about that, so I don't know if they know that yet. But they know she's on her way. Yeah. They know she's coming for her. There's then, like, an implication that the two of them have fallen out and haven't talked in years. And in my head, I'm sort of like, it is five years, which is a long time. I get that. But, like, presumably Bud made a lot of money when he was an assassin. Yeah. And now he lives in a trailer in the middle of nowhere and is selling priceless Hattori Hanzo swords for $250. And you're sort of like, what has this guy done? And working as a bouncer. Working as a bouncer at like a failing strip club. (laughs) And you're like, what has this guy done in the last five years that has led him to the, like, that's the movie I'd like to watch. It's just the the Bud backstory. The Bud backstory of like (laughs) this guy being a world-class assassin. Maybe he was no good. Maybe he was the black sheep of the group. Um, well, because you do find out that Bud and Bill are brothers. Well, yeah, they're brothers. And so, so, like, maybe Bill yeah. just kind of took pity on his brother and said, "Possibly come join my assassin yeah. gang." Possibly, like. but anyway, we <laughs> we see Bud throughout sort of you know a day in his life. He goes to work. He gets shit on at work. Yeah, from his everybody. boss was awful. Yeah, um, and then he goes home, and that's when uh, the bride strikes. But he's ready for her, and he sort of pulls the rug out from under her. And yeah, take it away. How did you feel about the rest of this chapter? Because this is like pretty tense stuff. Like I don't, I don't think, I don't think you think that she's gonna die here, but you are sort of like, the fuck is she gonna get out of this situation? Yeah. So when it happened, I was like, oh, she gets shot. I was like, it seems a little early for her <laughs> for her this. to die. Yeah, for her to die. I was like, I think this is a kind of a decent long movie. Something else has to happen. So him just shooting her with. Salt it's, or... It's like rock salt. It's like rock a, salt like a, or something. It just like peppers you up, right? Like yeah. It, it just, yeah. It would hurt a lot. And knock the wind out of you But yeah, stuff. but it's not going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. So like that I found kind of clever. And like you've just kind of described him as a loser. Oh, he's a big loser. For him to know that she's coming and to know to just shoot through his door. Like I was like, oh, you are... Clever, like he's an you assassin. Still, you still have some smarts in there. Yeah, Maybe yeah, yeah. not your best quality in life, but like they're there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't think I was necessarily a fan of this particular chapter, and part of that's just because I would be a person who would root for our hero. Sure. And like, there's not a lot to root for in here. Yeah, but but I think this is like this is one of the few moments to this point where like. She gets beaten and she has to quite literally rise from the grave yeah. to come back and win again. I guess for me, it's the scene that leads to her and the master, which is the stuff I really enjoy. Okay. So you're, you're kind of, once, once Pai Mei showed up, you're like, oh, this is, this is way why. more my speed. Yeah. Okay. Um, Because the whole teaching her how to like punch her way through a plywood or whatever. Once she is in the coffin, you're just like, she's going to get out. Cause I don't think she'll make it through the night and have the other woman come and get her. Like yeah. she's going to get out. And so I was sitting there being like, how is she going to do it? Like, is she going to take the nail and like scratch her way out? Like, and so then when you get to meet the Kung Fu guy, I was just like, ah, this is how. And so once again, I was kind of like, that's just clever storytelling. Yeah. Being like, this is the problem. This is how she learned yeah. how to do this solution. And now I'll show you. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's already got the ability to do yeah. it. So 
what I do like about the sort of coffin scene and, and the being buried alive scene is the, the two or three sort of moments or, you know, I think it's like 30 seconds long, really. It's not that long at all of her actually being like the top of the coffin being hammered down. Yeah. Like it's so loud. The, the hammer and the nails are so loud. And then we see inside the coffin and like the light is getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as the nails come down. And I, yeah. Every time I watch that, I'm just like, oh, it's so good. Like, you know, he puts you right in the box with her. Yeah. And it's getting darker and darker and it's so loud. And then when you're in that darkness with her, then you start hearing the soil being dropped on top of her. And you're just like, that, that would almost more than just being in the coffin that would be scary just the noise of everything happening yeah would almost be scarier for a moment i did wonder i was like maybe they won't bury her like maybe they will just stick her in a coffin and stick her in the ground yeah and stuff but then i was kind of like well no she needs some like epic entrance out <laughs> so well, and so then you you already said it. We get the flashback to Pai Mei. Yep. And her training. And this is like early, early days with Bill. And, you know, he kind of gives her a... I, I always like his sort of pep talk as he's leaving where he's sort of like, you know, Pai Mei doesn't like women. He doesn't like Caucasian women in particular. And he doesn't like American Caucasian women. Yeah. Especially. And so it's like, you know, he sort of like give him some time to warm up to you. And I think... In that like brief second, you are thinking like, well, how much time? And he's like, yeah, it's probably best to give him two years. And you're like, oh, she's going to train for two years <laughs> at with this least guy, at minimum before, you know, he's even going to start to like her. Yeah. And so then it's sort of like now I think you sort of understand why she is so good at what she's done. Because it's like this isn't just a, you know, a rough kid from the wrong side of the tracks that learned how to run around with a sword. It's like, yeah. no, she is, she's a fucking weapon. She is a weapon. What I was trying to think, and maybe they said, and I just missed it. What order did they join the assassin group? Cause clearly like, I don't know if it actually gets into that. Like obviously from like, we get a little bit of the bride's backstory and we get Oren's sort of entire history. Yeah. And Oren was already a world-class assassin before she joined bill yes. and and the rest of the group but obviously bill thinks that the bride is the most deadly of all of them or like maybe it was just because she was his favorite i don't know yeah. but she is the black mamba which is the deadliest of all the snakes that the character's named after yeah so she's clearly top dog um and when we get to the l stuff we can get into <laughs> that but yeah, it doesn't really explain sort of when or how the group came together. It doesn't really even explain, like, if they worked together. Like, they obviously knew who each other were, but I don't think they were going off doing jobs together. Yeah. It doesn't I, seem like it was that type of, type of group. And, like, maybe I needed a couple scenes of that to kind of help ground me in the group or something. But, yeah, something. And maybe that's why I enjoyed these particular scenes with her and him. Because I got grounded in like, oh, this is a bit more of her history. Right. Like yeah. this is how she became who she is. And like that's what the so. second the second movie is a sort of like, okay, we've shown you this straight revenge story with a nameless killer in the first half. 
And now it's second half is going to be like, okay, we're going to fill in some of the blanks now. Like yeah. we understand that you've got questions about who the hell is this? So we're going to give you some answers. Um, I think that like the Pi May thing is just fun. And if you watch any sort of like 70s Kung Fu stuff, it becomes even more fun because yeah. you're like, oh, like that is straight from this and whatnot. I always watch it and the scene where she's got the chopsticks and she's got oh this. Oh my God, like, that was alert. <laughs> she has this like severely injured, traumatized hand from punching the board. She can't hold the chopsticks. And I, every time I watch it, I'm just sitting there being like, my hands are perfectly fine and I cannot hold chopsticks. No. So I am always that idiot in a restaurant being like, can I have a fork, please? <laughs> you just feel like everyone's eyes are on you then. But yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I think I would have severely uh, failed that test of Pi Mays. Would to... you have made it to that point in the test oh, though? Because I would have not. failed yeah, probably not. way before then. Yeah, Yeah, probably not, <laughs> to be honest with you. But yeah, I do, I do like how that is sort of, that whole sort of scene is structured in terms of like, I think like there's obviously a lot of the training stuff that he gets her to do, but I think the things that you need to watch are there's a couple shots of the two of them doing like Kung Fu together, like side by side. And it starts with her being behind him. Like he's moving quicker than she's moving. And it ends with her being just as quick and then being in sync. And then you're like, Oh, she's got like, you know, now she's, the bride. Yeah. Now so, she's the black mamba. Yeah, now she's the black mamba. <laughs> and, and then she gets out of the coffin and she, goes order a coffee. Or was it coffee? Oh, I thought it was water. Was it water? I thought it was water, yeah. Maybe it was water. Yeah. Then we get L arriving at Bud's because Bud has now got a hold of the Hattori Hanzo sword. And he's selling it to L, And she shows up and they have a brief scene. And then L turns the tables on Bud. Yeah, I never, I never believed her to... No, you can't. Like... You can't at all. And you get you get a brief, brief scene with Elle in the first one to the point where I think you understand that, like, she does not like the bride. No. She doesn't like Uma Thurman's character really at all. You're not entirely sure maybe why or to what extent. But again, in this movie, it sort of, like, fills in a lot of those question marks. Yeah, when Bill... Sorry, when Bud is looking at the briefcase of money, I immediately was like, something's... Wrong. Something's wrong. Something's going to go funny. I was like, either it's only the top of the case and the rest is filled in with like, you know, styrofoam or like a box or something to make him think. And it's more full. It's more full and he'll only realize after Elle leaves and drives away or whatever. But yeah, her hiding the snake in there. But getting the information from Bud on where the bride yeah. is buried. Yeah. And then calling Bill and saying, well, I found her and this is where she is. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, you sneaky, you sneaky, yeah. sneaky lady. <laughs> like, she's a she's a good antagonist because obviously Daryl Hannah and Uma Thurman share similar qualities in terms of appearance. Yeah. Um, but the way that the characters are sort of fleshed out, you get the sense that like, Uma Thurman's The Bride is like this sort of efficient killing machine, whereas Elle is maybe a bit more uh, deceptive and devious and, you know, obviously find out in this scene that like she doesn't have honor and she will do things that are not sort of, that don't meet this code that I think The Bride actually does live by. 
I definitely saw her as kind of like number two oh, yeah. in the group. Oh, yeah. Like, you get a Uma lot Therma, of jealousy out of yeah, this. Uma yeah, Uma Thurma is clearly number one, either because A, she is the best, or because of her connection to Bill. Like, yeah. maybe it's a bit of both, maybe it's. But she's, like, she's top dog. She's, she's top dog. And, like, clearly, um, L is there being like, I want to be number one. Yeah. So what does Uma Thurma's character do that I don't do? Like, we both go out, we both kill people. We've both gone out, we've both trained with this kung fu guy. Like, yeah, yeah. So, like, what? what's that missing element or that missing thing or whatever? So... But yeah, she's just crazy. Well, yeah. Like, and then she. Just... I th- I think that the jealousy thing though is interesting because all of the vipers have like the only one who doesn't really have it is Bud. But maybe we're circling around the fact that Bud was not very good at his job. Yeah. Um, but like the other three, there is a real streak of jealousy between them and the bride. Where like Vivica Foxes of. Vernita Green. I keep calling her Vivica Fox. I couldn't actually remember her character's name. Oh. But her character's name is Vernita Green. Um, like she was really. She's upset that she wasn't called Black Mamba. And Uma Thurman's character was called Black Mamba. Oreni she is obviously like belittles her about the whole samurai side. Like you know, yeah. silly Caucasian girl wants to play with samurai <laughs> swords. All that sort of stuff. And then L, Like L clearly... I think has like internalized herself as number two because there are so many similarities between her and Uma Thurman, but Uma Thurman has Bill's favor yeah. until the moment that she doesn't. But yeah, I think like they, there's a lot of jealousy between all of them really towards her and, and like she proves them all wrong. Yeah. And like for Elle then to go after the Kung Fu guy and yeah. kill him yeah. as kind of a like, Sticking it to Uma Thurman's character, it's kind of like that's a below the belt. <laughs> but even even then, like the way that she kills him by poisoning his food, you're sort of yeah. like, oh, like you didn't even fight him and beat him. Like you, you, it's all underhanded. Yeah, it's all that's true. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think you you get a fuller sense of who L is, and it 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 impacts or it highlights that scene in the first movie where she was going to quite literally poison the bride in her sleep. Where it's sort of like she can't even oh, defend yes, herself. That's, that's, that's what she where, was. She yeah. was going to do that, but like in the first movie, you don't because you don't fully know who the character is or anything. You're sort of like, oh yeah, like that's not really fair, but you don't really know anything more. But then when you get the second movie, you're like, oh, like that's just her thing. Like she will, like she's not going to fight fair yeah. at all. Were you surprised that Bud hadn't actually sold his? samurai sword well like the first time around maybe yes but the first time i watched the movie i was probably 14 years old so at this point like no i know it's coming um i do love that like they have this epic sword fight in this shitty little trailer yeah with no space and they're crashing through walls um but then did you see the the eye pluck coming back did you no and oh my god i think I had to stifle a scream because I think Briar was sleeping by this point. And I was just like, oh, and like my stomach turned and I was so nauseous. But then once again, I was like, that's clever because that's one of the Kung Fu training scenes yeah. is her kind of doing that motion. And she did, she did it in the first movie. So like, we know it's a skill that she has yeah. and you know, Oh God, no. And then she like squishes the, Oh, yeah, gross. yeah. yeah. And then, Gross. and then, like, cold-bloodedly just leaves Elle behind. Like, doesn't even kill her. Yeah. Just walks out. 
for for L to deal with. Like now you're blind in a trailer with a black mamba in the middle of the desert. Like I don't think L's making it out of there, but the bride kind of wipes her hands of it. I did wonder in that whole fight scene where the snake had gone. Yeah, I think the snake correctly was like, <laughs> I might be a black mamba, but these are two crazy blonde ladies with swords. Like, I'm going to go sit in the corner over here, see how this plays out. Wait for one to be left yeah, and yeah, I'll get yeah. that one then? Yeah, like, let's see what goes on here. And then, you know, maybe I'll make a move afterwards. I think, yeah. So Snake's probably the smartest one in that in that trailer at that point. Only because we had watched the David Fincher and somebody's has a, does somebody have the bingo card? Is that one of the oh, bingo yes. squares? Yeah. <laughs> um, so David Fincher's the killer. And then like quite literally two days later, watch this. I did think of the whole black Mamba poison scene mm-hmm. in connection to the killer where he does something. He talks about it as well. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he's there being like, Oh, I've got this much time or whatever. Oh yeah. And then the person immediately dies, but her, Elle's there being like, well, I know a poison takes this long to enter your stream and this and that. And I was just like, you're clearly the better assassin. Yes, I think I think Elle <laughs> might not be honorable at her job. But I think Elle, as compared to the killer from the killer, is yeah. definitely the one I'd be hiring <laughs> if if I needed uh, an assassin. But Then we get to Bill's house. Well, so before we get to Bill's house, I did want to ask you about the Esteban scene. Where she goes to Mexico to oh, find yeah. out where Bill is living now. And sort of just what did you make of the Esteban scene? And like inadvertently meets his like father figure. Yeah, it's not even his dad. Right? It's not his dad, but it's a father figure, figure that he grew up with. Yeah. I didn't totally get the scene. So <laughs> it has kind of always stuck out a little bit like a sore thumb yeah. to me as well. The best that I think I can explain okay. is that. We find out a little bit about Bill that he didn't have a father growing up and he kind of just floated from father figure to father figure. And this Esteban, who is like a pimp in a small town in Mexico, um, and like all of the all of the boys from his women are like now running the town and he runs the boys, so therefore he runs the town sort of yeah. thing. Like that's what we kind of learn about this guy. We obviously get a little bit about Bill. We get where Bill's living and like she needs to go to him to find Bill and all this sort of stuff. I think the key part of the scene is when he asks one of the young women to come over to get them a drink. Yeah. And we see her face and her face has been cut up. And he talks about the fact that like, I wouldn't have done what Bill did to you. I would have just cut your face a little bit. And I think the best I can explain why this scene is in here is that we get an understanding that Bill has like professed a love for the bride. Yeah. Uh, They were in some sort of relationship before the events of the movie took place. And the movie opens with him shooting her in the head. Yeah. And you're sort of like, how could we have gotten there? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we get there because he grew up watching Esteban do the same thing with these women. Okay. Where he's sort of like tender and loving and all these sort of things because he needs stuff from them. But the moment that they either do something he doesn't like or that, you know, they don't need him anymore or whatever it is, he will hack them up a little bit. He, He will resort to violence to kind of put them back in their place. And I think that's the connection to Bill, that like Bill did something very similar to her that Esteban obviously does to his women as well. 
feel like that could have been like flushed out maybe a little bit more or like I think it could have been I like a little clearer yeah, of a connection like, or something. I've watched this movie ten times, fifteen times in my life, and this was probably the first time where I was sort of like, Oh, I wonder if that's the, the connection. So like I don't know if he's ever come out and talked about it. It's always been a little bit of a sort of like, okay. Like she needed to see this guy to find out where Bill lived. Yeah. You know, I kind of get it, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's why I kind of wanted to ask you about it. Cause it's always been a little bit of a like, hmm, why is that in here? And just because you brought it up again, I kind of forgot that the first movie starts with him shooting her in the head. Yeah. Is Bill not supposed to be an assassin as well? Like, how do you mess up? Cause I am thinking of the scene, like he's, Really close to her. How did he mess up shooting her in the head? Well, maybe he didn't want to actually kill her. Maybe okay. there was a part of him that didn't want to do it. You know, maybe there's a part of him who heard, that heard what she said about the baby. Yeah. And so then he does move, but he's already in the process of pulling the trigger. Who knows? Okay. Who knows? Who knows? But yes, like Bill, Bill has killed people. I think the implication is that that is Bill in the Oren Ishii um, part where she's a baby and her parents are murdered uh okay. i think the implication is that that is bill that has killed her parents okay whether or not she learns that later on in life i don't know but i always thought that like kind of looks like bill he's wearing rings like bill he has a samurai sword like bill i think the implication is that that's supposed to be bill okay so maybe that's like a brief moment of consciousness or something possibly okay. possibly yeah okay so we go to bill's house now we go to bill's house <laughs> And we watch the bride come through the building and, you know, come through the living room and stuff. And she's ready for a showdown with Bill. She turns the corner. And what do we get? His kid. Her kid. Yeah. Well, yeah the kid. See, the child. We see <laughs> Bibi. And, like, has there ever been a cuter child actor on screen than, <laughs> than this little girl? Like, my oh, God. you like her? Well, like, she's kind of fun. And she's, you know what I mean? Because what ends up playing out is that you you learn to understand or you you come to understand that like Bill as a father will be like nice and tender and whatnot, but he's also like not gonna hide violence from her. And so like yeah. she's grown up in this simultaneous, like really loving household where like he cuts the crusts off her sandwiches, but then also her favorite movie is Shogun Assassin. And you're sort of like, what is going on in this in this family? And they just play, let's murder mommy. And yeah, like... yeah. And like they 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 play act these like murderous games and whatnot. And you're just like, mm, okay. The like Bill would be an interesting dad, I guess. Yeah, really. not not gonna raise Briar that way. So, you know, we obviously meet the child, but you know, I think we obviously know that she exists because we're we're told that at the end of the first movie. The bride doesn't know that she exists. So when she comes around, like, were you sold on Uma Thurman's sort of performance in those moments of like, holy fuck, there is my daughter. Oh, I think I forgot that she doesn't know that the kid's alive. She has no idea. I think I forgot about that. So I thought she was, and maybe that's because that was my prediction, that she ends up finding the kid. Um, But I kind of forgot that she didn't realize that her kid was alive. Bill as a dad freaked me out. The, like, happy family scenes freaked me out because I I was just so uncomfortable. The thing that always, like, kind of makes me laugh, but it's also, like, it's a good touch, is when he's telling the story about BB and her fish and he's, you know, making the sandwiches and stuff, 
he's like really loosey goosey with that knife yeah. and just like twirling it around. But then at the same time, you're like only somebody really confident in their own sort of like knife skills would be that loosey goosey fl- blase <laughs> about this knife. Like it's fucking huge knife. And he's making a like, I don't know what he's making, like a cold cut sandwich yeah. with it. And you're just like, Ooh, that is a bit excessive. <laughs> but at the same time, you're like, this is Bill. Like he has murdered people with swords and knife. like he knows what he's doing. But yeah, I think it is, it, it sort of walks that line of being like, this is really sinister, but also kind of heartwarming. Yeah. And like them at one point sitting and talking about when, when are they going to have their big battle? Like, yeah. oh, well we could do it at sunrise. Cause like, that's like the typical time to like, I'll do you, duel you at sunrise is the saying or whatever. But, like, right now is also an okay time to do it. And I'm just kind of there being like, you guys are too, like, honest and chill about it's, all of this. It's really civil. It's really civil. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, well, like they, they, both like, know, they both know the game. They both know what's going on, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I just, yeah, I was really uncomfortable <laughs> for that whole, the last, what is that, half an hour of the movie? Yeah. 40 minutes, yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good it's chunk a, of the second half. I was just kind of there being like, I'm just uncomfortable. Like, and he shoots her with a truth dart. And yeah. yeah. Like, they're about to kind of kill each other. And their kid is sleeping upstairs. And I'm just like, I don't, don't like it. We can kind of unpack <laughs> this. Because I'm not just going to let you off the hook with, I felt uncomfortable <laughs> and I didn't like it. But so like when you get sort of all those questions and whatnot, you know, he shoots her with the dart uh, because he says that he can't trust anything that she says and that he doesn't think she can tell the truth with regards to him. And so then you do get a few sort of like, well, why did you run off and why did you not reach out? And, you know, all these sort of things. And I think you do, it goes like, it goes a long way to making you understand her thought processes around finding out that she was pregnant and being a, an assassin and being in the relationship with this person that she probably correctly assumes is not going to be the most stable father in the world. But you then also, I think, get a sense of like how rushed it all was because she was pregnant. Yeah. It's like she needed to find and cultivate a relationship with somebody who could, she could then convince it was had, their kid. That it was their kid, you know, and they need to get married and they need to do this. And they need, like to really sort of bury herself yeah. in another community. And like on one hand, you're sort of like, okay, like that's good. And that's a good plan. But on the other hand, you're like, it's super rushed because she's now on the clock. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to think she finds out she's pregnant the morning of a job, a job. Yeah. And it's kind of ends up being her last job. But somebody comes to her hotel room to try and kill her. Yep. That wasn't Bill sending somebody. No, that was the that was the target. So oh, her, okay. like the, this is maybe the other part of the movie that is never fully explained. But like she says that somebody recognized her and alerted the target that she was there. Okay. And the target assumed, well, I must be the target. Yeah. And hired another assassin to go kill her. Okay. But you're sort of like, if she's that good at her job, how did anyone recognize her? Yeah. But the movie needs to... Have something. Some confluences or whatever. You know what I mean? Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I think 
I think because I wasn't enjoying it, I did start to kind of like tune out to some things. <laughs> what happened to making your notes? I was making notes. Okay. But I just like, for me, sometimes if I'm not in a movie, it's a lot of hard work for me to sit there and kind of stay engaged on it. And because I just was not feeling this movie, like, I was taking notes, but, like, not good notes anymore. <laughs> By the end of this, I was just like, she found her kid. <laughs> she was pregnant. <laughs> well, we get to the very end. And yeah. her and Bill are finally sort of Sitting across down. the table from each yeah. other. And we're getting to that point where they're feeling like, okay, this is the moment where this is all going to go down. They have a brief little fight scene. And she does the five-point palm exploding heart technique Yeah, that Bill did not know that she had no. in her locker. Because he talks to her about it Yeah, and says that the Kung Fu Pai Mei, Pai Mei has yep. this technique. This skill. But that he hasn't ever taught anybody, I think, yeah. right? So, yeah. but yeah. And then he kind of like fixes himself up and takes the, takes what is it, the five, five steps? Five steps. And, and then, then instantly dies. Yeah. But I think just before we overlook it, like, <laughs> I, this is why I like this second half so much is that sort of things, you, you sometimes even have to look back like 30 minutes to be like, oh yeah, like, you know, that plays into this moment here and stuff like that. And so like, when you find, when she does it and yeah. he is as shocked as we are, you then have to rewind the Pai Mei stuff. And there are so many shots during the training montage with him where he's just like watching her. Yeah. And he's got a big smile on his face. And he's really impressed and really happy. And, you know, they do seem to be getting along. And, you know, all these things that, you know, he clearly wants in a pupil, she's exemplifying. And so then when she, fast forward, when she does do the five-point yeah. five palm exploding heart technique, you're like, yeah. It makes sense that he would have taught her this. But then it also goes back to the Hattori Hanzo scene. Like, I think people feared Bill. Yeah. His whole life. Because they clocked him for what he is, which is a killer. Right? Whereas they all saw something else in her. That even though she might do what Bill is telling her to do. And, like, she has a history of killing people. And, you know, in these two movies, she kills a lot of people. There's something else in there that they are willing to help her out where they've all turned their back on Bill. Yeah, I wonder if if I had watched them closer together, would I have made more connections? More connections? Because um, I was looking at your review and you said you often watch them kind of. I almost never watch them singularly. Yeah. And if I'm going to, it's always the first one. Oh, you'll rewatch the first but not the second? I, I, like, I'll sometimes put on the first and then... Won't have time for the second oh, okay. and then just won't do it. But I, this is maybe the first time I've ever watched the second as kind of a standalone. And you enjoyed it way more, I think. Well, I, I just enjoyed. Or you appreciated it I more. I think I appreciated it more. I think when you watch the two of them so closely related, you obviously see the differences because it's so stark. Like the yeah. first one is all action and this one is almost no action and things like that. But. I think you then, it, it sort of lends itself to the situation of like instant comparison between yeah. the two where it's sort of That's like, fair. well, I liked this more in the first and now I'm I'm watching this in the second and things like that. Whereas I found that when I 
spread them out so much for this exercise. I, I love both individually. I probably enjoy the first one more, but watching the second one with sort of real fresh eyes and like almost not no memory of the first, but you know, with some distance and some time between the two, I could really focus in on what is he doing in the second one and sort of be like, oh, this is, this is really good. This is great. Yeah. Whereas I think I would have enjoyed back to back, back to back. Well, so that does bring up the version called the entire bloody affair, which is the whole movie. Okay. So it's, I think, I think, I don't think it's told chronologically, Okay. But I do think it is quite literally the first into the second with no break. Okay. And it's four hours long or whatever to go oh, back to God. our original conversation. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that you should rush out and see it because you didn't individually really enjoy either half. Yeah. But it might be something worth checking out just so that you get the, kind of the flow, flow of the entire yeah. thing in one sitting. Knowing you'd probably still be two or three sittings. But. Yeah, probably. But... At least then it would have maybe a bit more of a a flow or like a reason for it. So have you done this? I've never done. I've never done it. No, I've never done it. Mostly because in the past I've had no problem just doing one One and two. two. Okay. So I've never sat down and just watched the whole thing because, well, I have both of them already. So I just do it myself. Um, But I do know people who have sat down and watched the whole thing and I think there might be extended scenes or something in there somewhere, but yeah, it's sort of as he originally intended all the way through. Yeah. Not feeling Tarantino. He might not be your guy. He might not be my guy. He might not be your guy. He like. It took us a while to find a Wes Anderson I liked. So. (laughs) I will like, we're not going to maybe do it for the podcast in the remaining weeks that we've got for this season or whatever. Yeah. But I would suggest some of his real Real. world movies okay um you know like something like reservoir dogs is pretty small in scale so you might be able to find your way in there but then also like inglorious bastards because of the whole history angle um he he also which you'll either like or you won't like but he has like no reverence for history like he does not care okay so he will set his characters up in real historical events but then like he feels no pressure to adhere to historical fact. He does uh, he does not care. Yeah, I don't know if I love that, so I would say for for <laughs> the movies that he's done it in, the majority of time I've enjoyed it because it, it is kind of a like I've seen this version of movie 20 other times, but now he is doing something very different because he just will not sort of play by the rules, quote unquote. Yeah. Um but I have heard lots of people be like you can't do that. And it's just like, well, it is just a movie, but I kind of understand where they're coming from. That's fair. So, should we tease next week? It's a first watch for both of us, I think. First for both of us. And, yeah, I was a bit surprised that it was a first watch for you. It's, once we get into it, nobody will be surprised why it's a first watch for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we are kind of looking for something where it would be fresh for both of us. Yeah. And so, like. This was one of the first ones that we kind of came across that well this yeah i, I looked up on letterbox because we got a <laughs> shout out letterbox and we gotta get that bingo card going but i looked up and i filtered the most popular movies from the decade that i haven't seen oh, okay and the first like 10 were animated movies and i was <laughs> like no 
It's like, <laughs> we're not doing that again. I'm not going back into more animated movies. Uh, and so this was like the first live action movie that I hadn't seen that was on the popular list of movies. And I think it was like, you know, 11th popular movie or whatever. And so I was sort of like, oh, once I found out you hadn't seen it either, I was like, that's perfect. Let's watch that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, like I, I, I have a feeling that you will enjoy it more than I will. I'm hoping you will enjoy it though. But but I I know who's in the movie. I kind of know what's going on, and I do for the most part kind of like their past work. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, we'll see. But next week, <laughs> everybody, stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs>